I don't know what traditions or stories you have at your house, in your home, with your family. We all have them, I'm sure. But one of the things that uh, I grew up hearing about and one of the things that Melissa and I tell our kids about is the story of when we were born or when they, our children, were born. The story surrounding each of the days that they came into this world. And each of the kids, we have four kids, soon to be five, each of these kids, they have a unique personality, but they also have a unique story. And each of these kids, as we hear their story, it's fun to celebrate what God has done, how God has fearfully and wonderfully made them in their mother's womb and then brought them into this world. As we have studied the Gospel of John, we are reintroduced to a different John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his birth was foretold long before he was ever born. In fact, John the Baptist and his coming was prophesied in the Old Testament that someone would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and he would make straight paths for the coming Messiah that he would rise up and prepare Israel to receive her king. So John the Baptist, from his birth, knew his purpose. As a society and as a culture today, the further we get away from the revelation of God's word and the revelation of God's son, the more we don't understand why we were born. The more that we're searching for meaning, we're trying to align our life to some message. But we don't know. It's all guessing. It's all speculation. We don't know why we were born. We could perhaps share the factors, the circumstances, the place that we were born. We could tell stories about how we were born. But we need revelation to remind us why we were born. It is only something that can be given from the creator to the creation. Now we can sing songs about why we were born. As I was preparing this sermon, I couldn't help but think of all of these songs about where we were born, like Born on the Bayou. Everyone ever hear that song? That's a classic. Or even our neighbor here in town, Bruce Springsteen, born where? In the USA, right? But I couldn't help, even as I was thinking about those songs, there's one song that kept uh, coming back to me over and over again. And sure enough, it was Steppenwolf's song, Born to be Wild. <laughs> now, I don't know what Steppenwolf's original intent was with that song, but they actually were pretty right on with its theology. It was probably celebrating the fact that we are born to be wild, but the truth is that each of us were born fearfully and wonderfully by God. Made in God's image. I believe loved by God. But each of us is born with a nature, with a proclivity towards sin and an allergy towards holiness. We are each born with this desire to run from God. So even as Bruce sings, Bruce Springsteen sings that we're born in the USA, he wasn't wrong either when he said that we were born to run. We are born with a proclivity towards sin and a proclivity to run from God's holiness, to run from his lordship, 
to run from him as God and king of our lives. And that's why, friends, no matter where you go, no matter where you're from, it doesn't matter which nation, it doesn't matter what economic class, it doesn't matter what government philosophy, every single person drawing breath on planet Earth right now is not perfect, including the person sitting to your left and right. We're all imperfect people. Now, no one would deny that. And I hope no one would even pretend to deny that because with the billions of people that live here on planet Earth, there's not one that goes a whole year living a perfect life. There's not one person on planet Earth that goes a whole month living a perfect life. If we were honest, there's probably not one person here on Earth, I guarantee there's not, that lives one day a perfect life. And that's just us living according to our own cultural laws or our own personal laws. And then we hear God's law. His holiness is revealed. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. He is holy, 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 as the angels are even singing now in heaven. We realize, okay, we were born in the image of God, but we need the Lamb of God to make us right with God. We need a Savior to change our hearts. So, yes, we've been born physically, but one of the powerful themes of the Gospel of John is that we need to be born again spiritually. We need to be made new. And the beginning of this theology, the beginning of this message, begins with Jesus' baptism. This is when John the Baptist not only understood his purpose, but now he understands where he gets his power. You see, where we understand life's meaning will dictate what message we communicate, right? How we understand who we are and why we're here will translate to some message we live by. It will. It does. It is happening even now. Think of how much we have to promote our businesses, promote our favorite preferences, promote our favorite sports teams. We were meant and designed to bear witness. But to truly bear witness to who Christ is, we need a supernatural, spiritual revolution, reformation, rejuvenation and renewal that comes only through Christ Jesus. And friends, it begins here. What you're about to hear isn't just the story of John the Baptist describing Jesus's baptism. Friends, today, you're going to hear and understand that this is the beginning of God ushering in his new creation. God ushering in his new covenant. God ushering in his spirit residing now not in a temple made in human hands, by human hands, but in our hearts. We're not only baptized in water, we're baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Excited to hear about it? Let's look. We're going to revisit briefly, ever so briefly, John chapter 1, verse 29, which we focused on last week, because this is John's message. This is, in fact, the essence of the entire Christian message. Verse 29 says, the next day, so these are all happening in close proximity to each other, all these events. 
The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You remember this message from last week. It's both Old Testament and New united around Jesus. This is truly the good news, that the Word of God who is with God, who is God, has become the Lamb of God slain for us, slain pouring out his blood and his life to save us from God's right justice, judgment, and wrath. It is only through the Lamb of God that, as we will hear at the end, we know the Son of God and we can become children of God. This is the message. Verse 30, it continues. This is he, he of whom I said, this is John the Baptist saying, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 31, now this is powerful. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. All right, let's take a break right there. Verse 30 and 31, very, very helpful and complementing truths. As John had said previously, in the Gospel of John. In fact, this is the fifth of six times. Six times in just a couple dozen verses. In one chapter, John the Baptist is confessing and bearing witness to Christ. He said earlier, I don't outrank Jesus. And you remember us teaching on that, thinking on that? Like we never out-impact Jesus Christ. We never out-influence Jesus Christ. You might be trying to climb that corporate ladder You might be trying to get ahead and get ahead and get ahead and finding what? That not only doesn't satisfy, but man, there's always someone higher on that ladder. John realizes that you can't out-influence or out-impact Jesus. You're never going to outrank him. It doesn't matter whether you have the lowliest menial job or whether you sit on the pinnacle of human power, you can't out-Jesus Jesus. He's got the greatest influence of anyone who's ever lived. And this is John the Baptist saying it before 2,000 years of Christian history, before the gospel spreading to almost every single tribe, tongue, and nation, before Christianity becoming the greatest global movement that the world has ever known. You can't outrank him. But he, he gets specific here. He says, I don't outrank Jesus because Jesus existed before me. You remember us teaching on this. John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. John the Baptist is saying something here really, really theologically profound. He's saying, before I was born, Jesus existed. So I'm going to ask you to repeat some words. John the Baptist understands who Jesus is and understands that he'll never outrank Jesus because Jesus is pre-existent. Can we say pre-existent? Because Jesus is pre-existent, John the Baptist is saying Jesus will always be preeminent. Can we say preeminent? He's always first because he existed before he was born. He is. The I am of the Old Testament. In fact, it's a name that Jesus will use of himself in the Gospel of John. He is the God of the Old Testament. And when God says, I am, what does that mean? There was never a time where he was not. 
Who created God? The best answer to that question is his name. I am. There was never a time where he was not. There never will be a time where he will cease to be. Jesus outranks John because he existed before John. Now, this is very, very interesting. Talking about birth and family, John says this in 31. I myself did not know him. Okay, little Bible trivia. Did John the Baptist know Jesus Christ? Good. He did. Because why? They were cousins. They were cousins. If you didn't know that, it's true. You can go back and read the Gospel of Luke. Both Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and Mary, Jesus' mother, were related. So they might not have spent the holidays together. They might not have been at the prophet's playground or whatever that might have looked like. I think that John the Baptist had a calling a lot like Samuel where he was probably immersed in uh, not only being the son of Zechariah priest, but also being prepared for his calling as a prophet. But Jesus, it would seem, he lived a pretty common life as a son of a carpenter. So even if these guys didn't hang out all the time, John the Baptist did know about Jesus. But something's about to happen where he's about to say, listen, I didn't really know him. Isn't that amazing? Like, he's in your family. Can you imagine the head game some of us would have if we were, like, literally related to Jesus? <laughs> we would think we were so holy, such hot stuff. John the Baptist is saying something shocking to us because there's people in churches, perhaps even this church, that we're so impressed by our own personal holiness. John the Baptist... John the Baptist was literally related to Jesus. And he says what? I didn't know him. Some of us grew up in traditions. Some of us grew up in churches. Man, we knew about Jesus pretty good. I could probably tell you some religious trivia, some good Sunday school answers. I grew up in a tradition, man, where I had all those boxes checked. Check, 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 check. And I can tell you this, I did not know him. Did not. I knew about him. I could go through the forms and the uh, rituals of a church service. I didn't know him. John the Baptist, none other than the herald of Jesus Christ himself, is saying, I did not know him. That's so powerful for us because one of the biggest challenges in church life is to think that it's all about knowing about Jesus. No, this is where that relationship language comes in. This is where that knowing and that union with Christ is so helpful and so important. John the Baptist is saying, until I saw the dove descend on Christ, my eyes were open. He is the Lamb of God. Behold him and not me. He is the Son of God. You see, when the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, what happens? Jesus gets bigger. When the Holy Spirit descends in our hearts, friends, Jesus gets better. Don't settle for just knowing about him. Don't just settle for perhaps some kind of churchianity. No, know Christ and become part of his family. John the Baptist says, I did not know him myself, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So a little, a little uh, Bible study tool here. Ready? In the same way, the lambs of the Old Testament sacrificed as a foreshadow of Christ's coming 
were to prepare Israel for Christ. Okay, everybody tracking with me? Tracking? John the Baptist's baptism was the same thing. To prepare people to be baptized, not just by John the Baptist, but by who? Jesus himself. You see, Jesus never baptized anyone with water. But you better believe John the baptism John the Baptist knows what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ. And that's where he continues in verse 32. Verse 32 says this, And John bore witness, I saw, can you envision this? Literally envision this. Put yourself in the sandals of John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a, what's the word? Very good, church. Like a dove and it, do you ever notice this? Remained on him. That's really important. Remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What is John saying? John the Baptist is saying that he knew his calling early on. He knew his purpose in life very early on. But God revealed to him personally that the one that he sees filled with the Spirit, the one that he sees the, the, the dove of the Holy Spirit descend on, he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. Now, what's so interesting here is that the Gospel of John doesn't describe John the Baptist as John the Baptist. You can read the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they make John the Baptist and his name and his title more wrapped up in what he does. John's epistle, I'm sorry, John's gospel is different. You won't find John the Baptist referred to as the Baptist in this book. Why? Who's the Baptist? Jesus. You see, long before we get anyone wet with the waters of baptism. Jesus Christ baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, there can be a lot of conversations about that in Christianity. I believe here it's, he makes you new. He makes you alive. He cleanses you of sin. He makes you right with the Father. You become a son and daughter of his. You see, while we continue, as we should, to baptize believers with water, this is why I emphasize over and over and over again that it's not the water that saves. It's not the Christian ritual that saves. It's not the church. It's not the tradition that saves. Listen, I can baptize you in water all day long. I could dunk you 15 times a day and twice on Sunday. I could even hold you down in the water just to be sure it's all covered. <laughs> Unless the Holy Spirit has made us new from the inside out, it's all for nothing. It's all just a religious, empty ritual. It's me just getting you wet. So how do we understand this? In the same way John understands this, that Jesus came to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not only helpful as far as baptizing people. That fills us with hope because of the Old Testament prophets. You see, what we're seeing here now is not only Jesus' baptism, but the ushering in 
of God's kingdom, the new covenant. You see, all of his promises are true. All the prophecies are coming to pass here. Let's look at some of those Old Testament prophecies, shall we? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says of the Messiah who would come. 11, verses 1 through 3, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. So someone in the line, in the lineage of King David. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will what? Rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Centuries before Jesus' baptism, prophesied. Not only that, continues in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Here is my servant, speaking of Jesus, centuries before Jesus was born. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Let's look at one more in the book of Isaiah. I love this because Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter 4, and then makes a very bold declaration. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to what? Proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the what? The year of the Lord's favor. It's jubilee. Jubilee found in Jesus. You know what happens in Luke chapter 4? Jesus enters into a synagogue, a house of worship, similar to this. They open up the scrolls. They read from Isaiah 61. Jesus looks around at everyone, I can envision it, looking at each of them in the eye and saying this. This is fulfilled today in your presence. He says this, all of this gospel goodness is fulfilled in himself. He's ushering in God's kingdom. This, in Jesus' baptism, this is why Jesus' public ministry begins at his baptism, because not only is it the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also the sign that John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets looked to, that the Spirit of God would descend upon his servant and then usher in his kingdom. Let's look at Isaiah, not only Isaiah, but also Ezekiel. Because in this passage, we're going to see something that's not only very, very interesting as far as we understand God's redemptive plan, but something very, very important as we understand our hardened hearts. Let's look at it. This is, Ezekiel 36 should just be something we know. Just underline this passage, write this passage down. As we think about the Bible, as we create a theology, this needs to be part of those top 10 verses. God prophesies long before Christ, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Listen, friends, what does this say? I will remove from you what? Your heart of? And give you a heart of? And I will put my what? Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, God's law was given to reveal God's holiness, to reveal the 
holiness of the lawgiver, the love of the lawgiver. And the challenge with that is what? We are an unholy people. We could never obey God's law. In fact, we didn't want to obey God's law. How many of us realize that we have a love-hate relationship with law? I don't even mean when you're speeding down the parkway. Whenever there is a national or global tragedy, what do people look to to save them? Law. We need a new law. We need new legislature. We need a new law. Give us a new law. As much as we love the new law and we look to the laws to save us, we also hate the law because it confines us. It could stand as a tyrant over us. So <laughs> I can't believe this happened this week when I'm teaching on this subject. But uh, so out at the church playground outside, we had this sign, right? Guidelines, we called them. We didn't even use the word law. But just to make sure our kids didn't trample upon each other at the church playground, we set up these guidelines for our Kingdom Kids castle. Church playground. Kids. Someone came along saw the guidelines, kicked it, and broke it apart. Now, I like to think that it wasn't one of our precious little angels that attend this church. But we do. We do. We get people that walk through our church property all the time. There's people that have, uh, on their motorcycles, done donuts in our front lawn. They love to throw their liquor bottles on our church. I really do. I think this was somebody that walked along saw, even at a church kid's playground, church laws, and just something came over them and decided, I want to destroy this. Now, this might be a seemingly innocent example of this, but the truth is, is that unless we have the Spirit of God in our hearts, we won't actually try to obey God's law for God's glory. You understand the Pharisees, the Pharisees that Jesus will have continual confrontations with? They seemed like they were living according to God's law, but they weren't. They were living according to their version of the law, a very selective version of the law, and they would add their own laws to God's laws, and that's why Jesus said of them, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look real pretty and holy on the outside, but on the inside you're filled with dead men's bones. You have a hard, deadened heart because you don't have the Holy Spirit because you have not recognized the one, Jesus Christ, the long-awaited, long-promised, long-sought-for, and hoped-for Messiah, who baptizes you, who changes you from the inside out with the Holy Spirit as the dove descends on Jesus. What an image it must have been. I guarantee that there's many people watching that that probably thought of another dove from the Old Testament. Remember Noah in his ark? Do you remember what happened after God had delivered Noah and his family? Noah sent out a bird. Noah sent out a bird to try and find if there's land that they can inhabit. And what's the bird that they sent out? None other than a dove. And what did the bird come back with in his mouth? Olive branch. As if to say that Jesus is our ark and Jesus is also our promised land. The promised land now points to a promised person, Jesus Christ, so much so that in the way the dove came back to the ark with an olive branch in his mouth, friends, where did Jesus ascend into heaven? None other than the Mount of Olives. As if to say, when that dove did not return, 
the Holy Spirit as a dove still resides in our hearts, counseling us, comforting us, guiding us to Christ, teaching us and illuminating the scriptures and giving us power and purpose for ministry. Amen? It's through the Spirit that we become sons of God. And that's, in fact, the testimony of John the Baptist that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 34 says this, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Friends, you were born to bear witness. Truth is, you're bearing witness to things all day long. We were born to bear witness for something much better than just our careers, than just our preferences, than just our pleasures, just our entertainment and our sports. We were born to bear witness to the Son of God. We were born to bear witness. Now let's get real practical and then we'll use an analogy to close, okay? Friends, how can we bear witness? What can we do? Well, sometimes bearing witness is not just about what you do, but what, friends? What you aren't doing. Sometimes bearing witness is not just what you say, but also what you don't say. Yes, your life, your very life will bear witness to what you believe. Now, thank God, we don't profess us, we profess Christ. And that's why, friends, the name, the name has to be said. You probably have heard this from another, uh, quote-unquote, Saint, Saint Francis, that said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that? All right. That I get, but that is not the New Testament vision. We are called to live a life worthy of the calling of being a Christian, as the Bible says, but we have to open our mouths. We have to speak the name. We have to utter the name of Jesus. So how do we bear witness? Well, first off, the first step in bearing witness in the Bible and even in the life of Christ, friends, is to be baptized. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Baptism is how we bear witness first. It's how Jesus began his ministry. So who are we to think that we can push this off? That we can ignore this, deny this. Perhaps that's why we're having a hard time bearing witness. Because we skipped over the first step. It's always been about belief, baptism, and then bearing witness to Christ. Someone bore witness to Christ in a way that's still shaping culture. Now, tragically, this person is shaping culture in a way that we celebrate his life and the day that he died by drinking green Budweiser. Where everyone's Irish and we all wear green, right? In fact, usually church attendance the day after St. Patrick's Day is not very, very highly attended because everyone's celebrating this wonderful man by getting drunk the night before, right? So it's great to see a full house today. This man we call St. Patrick, you might not know, was not ever canonized by the Pope. So St. Patrick isn't even technically a saint. Brace yourselves, folks. St. Patrick wasn't even Irish. He was Scottish. And believe it or not, St. Patrick's name was not Patrick. He was a Scotsman born in Kilpatrick in 387 AD. He was uh, born in Scotland. His name was Mawin. And he was a slave before he was a quote-unquote saint. 
You see, what happened was Maywin grew up in Scotland and his town, his area was attacked by Irish marauders and they enslaved him. They brought him on a slave ship and for months and for years, this young man lived as a slave to these Irish marauders who were fully immersed in their pagan, druid, anti-Christian theology. And then something happens. Maywin, Patrick, gets this vision. God speaks to him in a dream and says, your ship is ready. As if to say, almost like the, old, uh, the New Testament apostles who were in prison, I've provided a way out for you. And sure enough, he escapes. He gets on a ship and he goes back home. And you would think that's the end of the story. You would think there's no way I am ever stepping foot on that God-forsaken island ever again. I am not going back to Ireland. And then God changes his heart. God saves Malin. God saves Patrick, gives him not only a heart of flesh and a heart of love, but gives him eyes to see his enemies anew. The story goes that shortly thereafter, he experienced another dream in which he received a a letter that was labeled the voice of the Irish. When he opened the letter, Malwin, Patrick, he heard the voices of all those he had met in Ireland begging him to return. So that's what Patrick did. He returned to the same people that enslaved him, the same people that hurt him, the same people that oppressed him. And what did he do? Proclaimed Christ. Friends, history tells us over 100,000 people were converted from violent, pagan, Irish Druidism to loving, to knowing, to glorifying Christ Jesus. Over 100 churches were planted by this man. Isn't that amazing? Perhaps we shouldn't celebrate his day by getting drunk off a green Budweiser. Perhaps we should hear his prayer. And perhaps his prayer should be our prayer, even as we understand this was the passion of John the Baptist, the passion of the Apostle John, the passion of the entire Bible. This is the prayer of St. Patrick. Christ be with me. Christ be before me. Christ behind me and Christ in me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, John the Baptist, and Malwin from Scotland understood. If we understand our purpose, that we are born to bear witness and we live for the glory of the one who saves us, watch, watch what he can do. That's the invitation today. Do you know this Jesus? And are you making much of him? Let's pray, friends. Heavenly Father, I know that many of us who are used to coming to church and hearing a message and hopefully being encouraged, we can get into this really weird habit, this really strange cycle where we live every minute of the rest of our weeks out in the world, living for the glory of our businesses, our bosses, trying to get ahead, trying to eke by, trying to survive. And then we come to church and we hear a message and we're encouraged and maybe even moved and we say a prayer, but then we go back. We go back to how he's always lived and we get into this rut, this 
pattern, this cycle where we've stopped bearing witness. So God, I ask for a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit. It is only something that Jesus can do in our hearts to break our idols and to change us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, would you even do that now? Would you rise up here, Colts Neck Community Church, a new generation that's filled with the same boldness as John the Baptist to bear witness to Christ, regardless of the cost, regardless of what people might say or think. He loves us. He saved us. We're going to tell others about him. Friends, in a spirit of prayer, let's rise to our feet. And as we rise to our feet, I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, revealing in us the people, the places that he's calling us to bear witness today and this week. But church, pray this prayer with me. The Lord so leads. Heavenly Father, I need your spirit today. Fill me with your power and give me a passion for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.